Come on, how many came to praise the Lord? Just ignore my microphone snafu there. That means you need to praise the Lord a little bit longer. Come on, let's really give God praise. How many thankful to be in the house of God today? Has God been good to anybody? Last week we started a new series called Simplify. Everybody say Simplify. And we're trying to take the complicated and make it simple. And last week we talked about one of the enemies of simplification and one of the ways that things become complicated is when we get distracted. And we talked about the distractions that the enemy tries to bring into our life to get us off of what is important. And we see that the psalmist said in Psalm 27, one thing, everybody say one thing. One thing I have my mind on, and that is to be in the presence of the Lord. And there's a, another kind of guiding verse for this series, and it's going to be 2 Corinthians 11.3. And the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthians, he tells them, he says, I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity. Everybody say the Simplicity. That is in Christ. And other versions say the sincerity. Uh, that there, there's simplicity in Jesus. And he goes on to tell them, don't get distracted by all these elaborate doctrines and ideas that say you have to worship certain angels or uh, there are certain protocols that you have to go through that have been fulfilled by the blood of Jesus because Jesus came to simplify can I get an amen? Jesus came to make the complicated simple. So today, we're going to build off of that. And, and I, I want to ask you this question rhetorically because I, I think it's something we all struggle with. And I know that certainly people outside of this place struggles with. And that is this, what, what does God want from me? What is God looking for me? Like, like is he just looking for me to obey a set of rules and be good? Is he looking for me to uh, give money? Is he looking for me to make some sort of lifelong dedication to a cause? Uh, does he want me to improve myself? Does he just want me to be a better dad? Does he want me to be a better citizen? Is he wanting me to be a, a better husband? What does God want from me? And it, became, it can become confusing and it can be complicated because every week we hear somebody tell us something different, right? I remember going like to church, youth events, youth camps, rallies, whatever you want to call them. And, and uh, I would just always be confused because one speaker would say, God wants you to do this. Then another speaker say, no, 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 God wants you to do this. And I, I think we, we get a lot of that. Like one week, God wants us to give. The next week, God wants us to be sexually pure. The next week, God wants us to uh, be better servants in his house. And we need to be involved more. And, and every week, we hear something new about what God wants me to do. And it gets complicated because I can't keep track of it all. Because last week, Pastor Jeremy said that we can be distracted by things in the church, we can be distracted by ministries and then maybe next week he'll tell us we need to get more involved. What, what am I supposed to do? Anybody else feeling that? 
And I think that we can make it complicated, can't we? And our walk with God gets complicated the further away we get from Jesus. Paul said that he was afraid the Corinthian church would be drawn away from the simplicity that is in Christ, just like the serpent deceived Eve. Well, how, how did the serpent deceive Eve? He drew her away by making her question what God said, and he, he actually kind of drew her away by things that didn't look completely evil. And, and he, he said, did, did God really say? And he took her to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then we see that there were true trees in that garden. There, were, there was a tree of life. And then there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that one was off limits. And, and the, the temptation was, I can make you like God. Now hear me, I, I wanna be really careful how this is because I don't wanna make it any more complicated. You will never be Jesus, right? Like, like we hope to help you. I hope to give you some good, solid meat from God's word, but you will never know everything. You will never have all knowledge. You'll never have all power. You'll never be completely in control because only Jesus has that power. There's only one Jesus, amen? But I want you to think about this temptation that the serpent gave Eve is, is to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, God never meant for us to know evil. Did you know that? God never meant for us to know the evil that we see in the world today. Now, I'm gonna throw a curveball at you. He never meant for you to know good either. What do I mean by that? If we're not careful, we can eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and this appears oftentimes in religious spirits where if, if I just study the word of God enough, I will know it all. And I will become the Bible answer man. And I am the authority of good and evil. And God is saying, you're going in territory I never meant for you to go because only I can know good and evil. And here's what we need to know. God never meant for us to know good. He never meant for us to know evil. He meant for us to know him. Oh, can I get an amen in the house? What's that? When I, when I study God's word, I'm not trying to break a code so I can have power and authority and, and I can be smarter than everybody else. When I study God's word, I want to know him. I want to know his ways. I want to know his heart. I want to know his character. I want to know what it is that pleases him, not for my sake, but simply because I love him. Come on, somebody today. How many wants to know Jesus? And here's the simplicity that's found in Christ. It's just knowing him. The simplicity that's found in Christ is knowing him. I, I don't have to impress anybody. I don't have to uh, feel like I'm better than anybody. The simplicity that is in Christ is I just want to know Jesus more. And so that's what I do, why I do. That's why I'm obedient. And, and I want to ask you today, what's your reward? What, what, what's your reward? Is your reward to know good and evil? Because here's the thing. We're going to either eat of that tree or we're going to eat of the tree of life. And the tree of life is Christ. 
And the tree of life is I could never do enough to impress him, but he's done it all. I could never be obedient enough to be worthy, but he paid the price. I could never be righteous enough, but in his righteousness, I stand before God, pure and holy. And so I eat from the tree of life, which is Christ. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a vain attempt for me to be like God in various ways. And so I want to ask you today, what is your reward? Is heaven your reward? Are the golden streets your reward? Is just getting to see great grandma Louise one more time your reward? Or is it Jesus? Because that's a very important question. Life becomes more complicated when Jesus stops being our reward. When people start being our reward, when God's gifts start becoming our reward, things get complicated. And I want us to see what Paul said in Philippians 3. He said, not that I have already attained. You know what he's saying? This isn't heaven. How many know that this isn't heaven? Or I am already perfected. A lot of you are like, yeah, I know, I'm in central Illinois. You, you don't have to belabor that point. This is not heaven. Nor have we already perfected. But he says, I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ has laid hold of me. And he says, I, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But I want you to say, but what? One thing. Everybody say one thing. Remember last week the psalmist had one thing. Paul had one thing. He said, all that stuff, he said, I, I lay it aside because there's one thing I want, forgetting those things which are behind. I want to stop there. We get complicated. Our walk gets complicated when we don't forget the things which are behind. And I want to tell you this. We got to forget the bad things and we got to forget the good things. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you good. And he'll get you to rest on things you did last year. He'll get you to rest on things you did five years ago. And he says, I forget anything good. I forget anything bad because there's one thing I want. And I'm reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What was Paul's one thing? Jesus. His prize was what? Jesus. His goal was Jesus. Come on, somebody. Does anybody in here want to get back to the simplicity of Jesus. Simplicity of Jesus. I, I, I don't want morality. I'm going to say that again. I don't want morality. I want Jesus. Jesus makes me moral. I don't want spiritual power unto itself. I want Jesus. Come on, somebody. Sometimes we as Pentecostals, we, we gotta be reminded of this stuff. I, I love the gifts of the Spirit. I love the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. But at the end of the day, that's not what I'm looking for. That's a reflection of Jesus. 
I want Jesus more than I want tongues. I want Jesus more than I want healing. I want Jesus more than I want prophetic words. Why? Because it's all about Jesus today. The simplicity of Christ. And that's how people, people and movements get pulled away. They, they make church all about one issue. And that takes the place of Jesus. We've got to remember it's all about Jesus. So I want to give us three points today as I do. And we're talking about the simplicity that's in Jesus. Number one, how do we get there? We love God and we love people. I love that song that we sang a few minutes ago. I love you, Jesus. Such simple words, but so profound. And, and Jesus was asked in Mark chapter 12, what is the greatest commandment. And Jesus answered him, first of all, the commandment is, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We serve one God. And he says this, we do what? We love him with all of our heart, with all of, us, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength, everything within us. We love this one God. There aren't many gods. You know how life gets complicated when we have many gods. I answer to Jesus. I give an account to Jesus. I live my life for Jesus. I don't live my life for grandma. I don't live my life for my boss. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is the person I look to. Come on, somebody. Does anybody today... Affirm that we are Jesus' people. He is Lord. And so we love him for the essence of who he is. The greatest commandment is not, thou shalt not commit adultery. Your greatest commandment is, thou shalt tithe. Is not, thou shalt tithe. The greatest commandment isn't, you shall be really involved at church. Come on, somebody. The greatest commandment is to love God with everything because everything flows from that. Our heart is our will, our desires, our passions, our affections, our perceptions. They have to be rightly aligned with Christ. That's what it means to love God with our heart. Our heart is for him. Our heart is not for this world. Our heart is not for the distractions that are around us. And if we, it's impossible to love God if our heart's not in it. You know, Jesus said of the Pharisees, they honor me with their lips, but what is, their heart is far from me. Come on, we need some church people to love God with their hearts. We need some people to lift up their hands and worship with their heart. We need some people to serve with their heart. What does that mean? I want to serve God. I want to love God. I want to, nobody had to dare me to be here. I came here today because I wanted to be here. How many today just want to serve God, want to love God? Nobody has to threaten you today. Our soul is our life force. It's the very essence of who we are inside. Our soul is that invisible force within us that is spiritual. We're to love God with all of our soul. What does that mean? That means I, I turn some things off. Why? Because what's on that screen is gonna draw away my soul. 
want to ask, is it worth it? Is it worth losing your soul? Is it worth losing that internal, eternal part of us that goes on forever? We've got to have that joined with God. Our, our mind is how we pursue him and our understanding. We love God with our mind. We study his word. We think about his ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And I was posing this question to our Bible class here at MAPS this week. That is this. Can you love God when you don't understand him? There's things in his word I don't understand. But again, I'm not trying to eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? There's some things that belong to God. I trust him and I love him in my understanding even when I don't understand him completely. There's things that are happening right now that I don't understand. There's, there's people wrestling with sickness. I don't understand why they are wrestling with sickness. But I trust him and I love him. That's what it means to love God with your mind. When evil thoughts come in my life like that came into Eve to draw her away to question God, I shut it down with the word of God and I say his ways are perfect. His ways are higher than the heavens. That his ways are so much higher than mine. I trust the word of God. I trust the justice of God. I trust the character of God. And then our strength this is the call to love God with everything that we do. I love God in my marriage. I love God with my children. I honor him in all of my strength. I honor him in my physical labors. I honor him with everything that we do. And that's why uh, to our young people that are gonna play sports this year, honor God, love him in your strength. Give it everything that you have. Give it everything you have in your academics. Give it everything that you have in your studies. Honor God with everything within you. Come on, can we give God praise today that he gives us the opportunity. That is how we worship him. I wanna tell us today, we know our worship isn't something we do for 20 minutes in this altar on Sunday morning. Our worship is how we love God in our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I worship him this week in everything that I do. Come on, I don't have any worshipers. How many of God's looking for worshipers? But then there's that messy other half of that saying by Jesus and he says this the second like it is this you shall love your neighbor as yourself and there is no other commandment greater than these you see there, there were over 700 commandments in the Old Testament and there was it got complicated you know how it got complicated there's no way anybody can do that there was no way anybody could keep all of those rules all the time. And so Jesus came to simplify things. He says, hey guys, look, look. I'm gonna put those 702. Love me with everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? Put people first. God is first. Your neighbor is second. I am third. And so we, what do we do? We love people like we would love ourselves. 
We put a priority on the people around us. You know how life gets complicated? Life gets complicated when we become selfish. And you'd be amazed how simple it can be when you put other people in front of you and you put their happiness in front of your own. Come on, what if we became serpent, uh, serpents, servants? We got enough of those. What if we became servants at home this week? So I'm gonna love my neighbor as myself. What if we became servants in our job this week? And, and here's what I'm gonna tell us today. You can't do one and not do the other. You cannot love God and not love the people around me. I don't want to hear you speak in tongues all day Sunday if you don't love the people around you on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Come on, somebody. We need some real Christians to stand up and simplify things. So when that person makes you mad, you got to simplify things. What is God asking me to do in this moment? Just yesterday, I was taking the kids to the Golden Arches. That's the third commandment. (laughs) And I was trying to pull in, and I guess I took too long, and the guy behind me honked at me and pointed me to Jesus. (laughs) And, And you know, we can be so stupid sometimes, can't we? Like the flesh in me said, follow him. Yeah, with your kids in the back seat. That's, that's great parenting, right? And I had to remind myself of the sermon I was gonna preach in about 24 hours. Wave and blessing. So, sorry, I took too long. But we, we, we've gotta filter everything as loving my, the people around me is how I love God. And here's the thing, you can't love them well without the love of God in your heart. The two go together. And and life becomes so much more simpler when we filter everything through that. Am I loving the people around me well? Am I loving my wife well? Am I loving the people in my home well? And and the, the second point I wanna give us today goes along with this, and that is this. Obedience is God's love language. Come on, we all got a love language. Whether it's acts of service or words of affirmation. Mine is words of affirmation. So after service today, if you want to love me, if you want to speak my love language, Pastor, that was the most amazing sermon I've ever heard. You're going to be speaking my love language, people. I'm just telling you that right now. I believe my my wife is acts acts of service, correct? And and so... um, there's certain things that I do and, and I just know I'm speaking her love language. And it's even better when I do it without her asking, amen. <laughs> but God has a love language and it's obedience. Right. You see, we can say we love him. We can say all of these things, but until we obey, it's just theory. Right. Right. And today I wanna help simplify some things for us and that, that is we've got to obey God, the the heart of obedience is making a choice. You've got to make a choice to love God. And and there is no love without choice. Why why did God put that? You know, so many times I thought, Lord, let me help you. Let me help you. 
No, I wasn't there when you created everything. No, I wasn't there when you spoke the universe in existence. No, I can't tell you the first thing of even how my cell phone works. But let me help you, right? Because we're really smart. You didn't have to put that tree in the garden. Come on, you talk about think complicated, but that would have simplified. There would just be one tree, and if you eat of that tree, there's no problems. If you would have just taken away choice, we wouldn't be in this whole mess. But here's the problem with that. You also wouldn't have love. And you cannot have love without choice. You have got to make the choice. You have to make the choice to love God. And here's how we do that. We honor him in our obedience. We choose to love God. Let me say it this way. Our choices reveal our love for God. There is no love apart from choice. And so we must simplify our life by defining our love for God one choice at a time. I'm gonna, can I say that again? Our love for God is defined by one choice at a time. What did Jesus say in John 14? If you love me, keep my commandments. My love for God is gonna follow in my choices. And I get to choose, you see, God is a gentleman. He's not gonna put a gun at your head and make you do certain things. One of the most beautiful gifts that he gives us is the gift of choice. Why? Because we cannot love him apart from that. He, he did not wanna create a bunch of robots who were programmed to obedience. He gave us the choice. First John 2.15 says, do not love the world nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Notice he says, do not love the world. What's he saying? He's saying the love of the world is a choice. If God says, do not do something, that means he's given you the choice. And we've got to get back to, to a very simple concept that we've lost today, and that is this personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. We've got to get back to the reality of sometimes we make bad choices. And we can't genetically blame it on grandpa. We've got to take responsibility for our sins. And we've got to take responsibility for our obedience. And how do we show that we trust God? We obey him. We obey him when we don't understand it. We obey him when it runs counterintuitive to our personal preferences. Obedience reflects our trust. It also shows our love for him. You see, when Abraham took Isaac to go prepare a sacrifice, what was he doing? He was showing that he trusted God. And his son starts asking questions. He says, son, the Lord will provide the sacrifice. What was he showing? He was showing faith. He was showing trust. He was showing love. And I, today, I wanna sh show us today, how do we obey God? Well, here's what we have to do. We have to develop some personal values. Everybody say personal values. If you wanna, wanna write these down, I don't think I, I gave them 
for the screen, but person, or you could say it this way, personal convictions. Come on, some of us need to get some convictions. Convictions are pre-choices that guide our life. Notice I said pre-choices. There's some things that maybe you can do that I cannot do because I know myself, I know my weaknesses. I know what pulls at me. I know what will get my engines running and I know what will get me going the wrong direction. And so I have to develop some personal convictions that say, they can go there, I cannot. They can do that, I cannot. That is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And and you've gotta take responsibility for those convictions. I cannot give them to you. Bishop cannot give them to you. You have to develop Personal, everybody say personal convictions. Let's praise God for personal. And I'm gonna throw this in. These are not always thou shalt nots. If someone presses you on it, well, show me Bible for that. I don't have to show you Bible for it if God put it in my heart. And I'm not putting it on you. I'm saying I cannot do that. There, there, there might be some music I can listen to that you cannot. Because to, to me, maybe it's harmless and it's just some song from the 70s. But maybe it was something you did drugs to 40 years ago and it takes you back. We're talking about loving our God with our soul. That's what we're talking about. Like that, If anything takes me towards sin... Even if there's not a Bible verse, I've got to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Come on, is this simple enough? Is it simple enough? So there's personal values, then there's traditional values, or we could say traditional convictions. And these come through our family structures and our church structures. And most of the times, these may not be specifically Bible-based, but they're Bible-principled. There's biblical principles where these are based on. And and sometimes people ask, well, why don't you do that? And I don't come at them with 20 Bible verses. You know what I say? You know, a lot of it has to do with the way I was raised. And I'm thankful for it. I'm not putting it on you. I'm not saying everybody, but but it's worked for our family. And so this is what I do. It's a traditional value. It's something that has been handed down to me. And and I, I, I don't, uh, judge the whole world by it, but it's worked. And, and here's what I would tell you. When uh, you start to change traditional values, uh, and I mean this sincerely, just be careful. Because here's where I wanna go. Traditional values often protect our core values. What are my core values? I will not cheat on my wife. I will not steal. I will not break confidence. I will not do things that would harm the people of this church. I will not take advantage of people. I will not steal. Those are my core values and often they are protected by that layer of traditional values that keeps my life centered and keeps my core values in line. Now here's what I'm gonna tell you. It's up to you and and you've gotta work with the Holy Spirit to work all of that out. I'm giving you principles for how you can obey and please God. Does everybody still love me today? Come on, speak my love language and affirm me. 
personal values, traditional values, core values. And so we've got to protect those things that hold our love for God together. The third thing I wanna give us today is this commit to God. Commit to God. If you wanna simplify your life, commit to God. Proverbs 16, three says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. What does that mean? If you commit, he'll do the rest. If you put your feet firmly on the ground and say, I'm not moving. God, this is what I believe. God, I trust you. I'm committing my life to you. It doesn't matter what the people around me do. It doesn't matter how circumstances change. I am committed to you. And it's, it's difficult to love and obey what you're not committed to. It's difficult to love and obey what you're not committed to. And I think that's the problem we see in modern day Christianity. People wanna say they love God. Nobody wants to commit and obey. We've gotta be committed to God. And I think one of the reasons we see that is culture has bled into our thinking and culture has taught us that love is an emotion, not a choice. What are those movies, A Walk to Remember? Come on, all you carnal people, help me. What's the other one? That guy that writes all those love stories and they make them into movies. And every one of them, it's about emotion, right? And we see this now. People break up and they post on Instagram. I'm really thankful for him or her. But we've decided that we're gonna look for happiness somewhere else, right? That's really what they say. They no longer make me happy. And, and I'm all for these new vows, amen. But you gotta be careful what you vow. You know, some, I heard some of, some of these new vows, I promise to always make you laugh. No, you're not. <laughs> Danielle stopped laughing at my jokes like two weeks after our wedding. Like, <laughs> you're not... You're not always gonna make them laugh. And there's power. You know how we can keep our commitments? We vow to something. I made a vow to that woman. I will love you in sickness and in health. Somebody said, well, ever since I got married, my life got worse. Well, that's what you signed up for. Isn't that what you said? I'll love you in sickness and health, richer and poor. That's worse. Just, just gotta let y'all know, some of you young couples or you single people, you teenagers dreaming of marriage, it, 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 after marriage, it gets both better and it, both, it gets worse too. Life gets hard, right? I'm gonna get in trouble, I better leave that alone. Life gets, life gets more complicated, that's what I'm trying to say. But when life gets complicated, what keeps me centered? I made a vow. I didn't make an emotion. I made a vow. And I must 
keep the vow I made before God and my wife. And that's what keeps me committed. You don't wanna know how to be successful fasting? Come on, anybody else thinks fasting is complicated? It's complicated because you say, I'm gonna fast today, and then you drive by you know, your favorite restaurant and they're running the special for your favorite thing, right? You know how to fast? Make a vow. Lord, I vow I will fast from this time to that time. When those temptations come, you remember, I made a commitment. I made a vow. Vows are how we keep our commitment. A vow is a solemn promise made to God to perform or to abstain from a certain thing. Now, before you make a vow, you gotta be serious. You don't just walk into marriage with a maybe. Oh, come on now, that's good. You walk into marriage fully committed. I'm gonna say this. We question people pretty good before they get in this baptismal tank. You know why? You're about to make a vow. You're about to make a commitment. And if you're doing this to be on Facebook or, and I, I'm, I'm gonna tell my kids, like, are you getting baptized because some other kid got baptized or are you going to make a commitment? This is the most important <clears throat> commitment you will make outside of marriage is the decision to be baptized. Yes. We've gotta enter into our relationships committed. We've gotta enter into our spirituality committed. Commitment is the missing piece in so much of society today. You know, I, th- I thought of the story of Ruth. And the story of Ruth is this, that she was this woman who lived in a godless country and her mother-in-law, Naomi, ended up there in Moab with her family because they were fleeing a famine. And when the famine was over, by the time the famine was over, the father had died, the sons had died, and it was just Ruth and her sister and Naomi. And Naomi told Ruth, she said, you can go on and go home or stay here. I'm gonna go back to Israel, but you can stay here. And there was something in Ruth that had a heart for her mother-in-law. And and I wanna see that Ruth 1.16, it said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you for where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God will be my God. You know what that is? That's commitment. That's a vow. She said, wherever you go, I'm going. Whoever's your people, they're my people. You know what this is? It's a picture of somebody joining the church, of joining Christ. She had a committed spirit. I've told this story before, and I'm gonna tell it again, but Danielle and I were dating, and she had so many good things going on in her life or was advancing in her career, and I came along, we started talking, and uh, one night I, I got real quiet on the phone, and uh, we only spoke for a couple minutes, and I said, yeah, I'm just not, 
you know, I don't feel good tonight. I used some excuse and we ended the phone call and about uh, 90 seconds later, she called me back and she said, Jeremy Sue, you're gonna tell me what's going on right now. And I said, you know, uh, what, what are we doing? You're not leaving your career. You're not moving here. We're wasting our time. You know, what, what are we doing? She said, Jeremy Sue, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard you say. Wherever you go, I go. Whoever's your people are my people. And I knew, fellas, right then and there, she was the one. Why? Because she was committed to me. She was committed. See, I I redeemed myself with that story, didn't I? When I was talking about marriage. And I want to tell you, marriage is worth every second. You know why? Because you've got somebody else committed to you. And when you got two people committed to each other and to God, no weapon from hell can destroy a godly marriage. Come on, can somebody testify to that today? But I want you to see, she went back to Israel. Ruth went back to Israel with Naomi. And they were destitute. They had no income. And she goes to, to pick up the leftover grain in the field. And there's a, name, a man named Boaz who owns that field. And he's, it says that she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, saying to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? You see, Boaz let her have extras. He said, go over here and get a little extra. Get more than you need. And she said, why have I found favor in your sight? And I want to tell you, as you read this story, Boaz is a picture of Jesus Christ. How many knows that we don't deserve anything that we have? We're all foreigners to the kingdom of God. There's nothing within us that's good. There's nothing within us that should allow God to have more than enough than what we have. How many today are like Ruth and you have more than enough than what you need that God has allowed you? He's not only said you can come into my kingdom, but he's blessed you with so many. Is there anybody here today that feels the love of God, the blessings of God. But I want you to see what Boaz did. He answered her and he said, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father, mother, and your native land and you came to people that you did not know. You know what he's saying? He's saying, Ruth, you got my attention by your commitment. I want to tell us today, if you want to get God's attention, if you want to show God that you love him, commit to him. Say, I'm digging my heels in. I'm entering into the kingdom of God and I'm not looking back. I'm going into my baptism. I'm going in to this church. I'm going in to a new lifestyle because God, I am completely committed to your word. I'm completely committed to your ways. I'm completely committed to knowing you more. Come on, is anybody here committed today? Can we stand on our feet all over this place? And in a world that's built on sinking sand, in a world that's always changing, 
I'm committed to the Word of God. Come on, is anybody committed to the Word of God? A lot of people are committed to science. Does anybody notice the science changes about every three years now? Does anyone know, can we eat eggs? Have they figured that out? We eat eggs. Next year, it'll say one thing. Next year, the next. And the same people that can't even figure that out wanna tell you how to live your life. I'm staying committed. I'm staying committed in good times. I'm staying committed in bad times. Why? Because I love Jesus. I made a vow to him. I'm gonna serve you. I'm gonna love you. Come on, I want us to sing this song. And here's what I want us to do. I'm standing today committed to the word of God. I don't care.